You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is The Struggle is Real, Episode 3 with Loami Richardson. Welcome to Amazing Discoveries. My name is Loami Richardson, Evangelist for Salt Outreach. And you are now watching the third presentation to our series entitled, The Struggle is Real. The last two presentations, we covered the, the importance of us not only understanding the working of the Holy Spirit, but also understanding our need of Jesus. And today we're going to be discussing the struggle of being an on-fire Christian. Uh, and this will be mainly focusing on Revelation chapter 3, the message of the Laodicean church. But before we begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we just want to thank you again for all of the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. We ask for your spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth. Pray that the words that I speak may not be my own, but that you may uh, speak the words through me, that your son may be uplifted and that you may hide me behind the cross. We love you. We thank you for all that you have done for us. For we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I don't know about you, but in my life, I've had, when I first gave my heart to Jesus, I was so on fire for him. And I realized that I was willing to do anything and everything for my lover, Jesus Christ. But as I continue to go through my Christian experience, I realized that that fire that once was there kind of dwindled off. It seemed like I was going through the motions and not necessarily doing the things that I once did before. I don't know if that's been your experience, but it definitely has been mine. And so today we're going to be discussing the struggle of being an on-fire Christian and how you and I can be on fire for Christ on a consistent basis. As we look at the book of Revelation chapter 3, we discussed in our previous pre presentation that the, 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 the condition of the Laodicean church is, that, is one that, uh, that looks at itself as better than what they really are. They think they're rich, increased with goods, and no need of anything. But we see that Jesus calls the Laodicean a church that is, that is in need of him desperately. And so as we turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, I want you to notice what it says in verse 14. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Notice in verse 15, Jesus says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, and I thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. We see that Christ looks at our condition and the only conclusion that he can draw up is that he wants to spew you and me out of his mouth. Why would a God of love, a God who created us in his image, a God who breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and we became a living soul, why is it that God looks at us and wants to ultimately spew us out of his mouth? It's because he sees our works. He sees that we're neither cold for him or hot for him, but in reality, we're just lukewarm. We're complacent. And because of this reason, Christ looks at us and say, we think that we're better than what we really are. And he's telling us our condition. And we rather accept, instead of accepting what Christ is telling us about ourselves, we tell God in reality, we're really better off, than, better off by ourselves than with what you have to provide. And so this is why Jesus says, I get to a point where I want to spew you out of my mouth. But I want you to notice what Testimonies to the Church, Volume 4, page 87 states. The Laodicean message applies to the people of God who profess to believe present truth. And notice what it states. The greater part are lukewarm professors. 
The Laodicean message applies to every single believer who believes in the first, second, and third angel's message. We see that this doesn't just apply to some people, but to the majority of Christianity. And because it states that the greater part are a lukewarm professors. You see, when we look at the Laodicean church, it doesn't just mean lukewarm. It actually means a judged people. And so the following illustrates the three kinds of people mentioned in the message of Laodicea. You see, those who are cold are those who live for self. Those who have no relationship with God. Those who look at the pleading of God's call in their lives and they ignore it and rather live to their own inclination and their own desires. And we see that this is what is represented as someone who is cold, someone who looks, look, looks up for himself, live for himself with no regards for humanity, nor with God. But then we see that a lukewarm Christian is one that is a little bit of me, a little bit of self and a little bit of God. And so we see that Christ looks at that condition. He says, you can't have a little bit of you and a little bit of me. You either have to be hot completely or cold without me. And we see that the majority of the Laodicean church, the majority of the, uh, of the, professor, uh, the professed people of God are in this condition where they look out for themselves, but they, get a little, they give a little bit of God as well. What Christ wants to us to ultimately experience is a fire for him, a love, a burning desire that allows us to give all to him and to our master. It's being hot. It's allowing Christ to be in us. It's to be spiritual and not live after the carnal flesh. You see, those who are hot Christians is the, are the ones who have experienced the new birth and know the necessity of daily allowing the Holy Spirit to control their spirit and their minds. And they realize that if they fall into sin, they do not make excuses for their sins, but rather quickly ask God to forgive them and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. You see, the cold know that they're not in a saving relationship with God, but the lukewarm, they think they're right with God, not knowing that they're truly in a lost condition. And so the reason why we look at ourselves uh, uh, more than what we ought to is because it's found in verse 17. It's because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And this is the condition of the majority of those who profess to know present truth and to follow present truth. It's those who believe that I am rich. I'm creased with goods. I have need of nothing. And whatever remedy you have for me, Jesus, is really of no necessity. You see, not only are we rich spirit, uh, 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 physically with, with our bank accounts, but also rich spiritually. I mean, when you look at our, uh, our Adventist movement, we see that, that God has blessed us with abundant knowledge of education and, and health reform and all of these other things that, that, that God has supplied for his people to follow. So we look at, at, at the wealth of knowledge that we possess and we tell ourselves we are rich. We are increased with goods. We look at the hospitals as God has blessed our Adventist hospitals and we look at the at the employment rate and we look at all of how the Lord is blessing our, our institutions and our schools. And we look to ourselves and say, look, the Lord is truly blessing. And we think that the external blessing that God is giving us is an indicator of whether or not you and I are in a saving relationship with Jesus. And so we come to a conclusion that we look at our bank accounts. We look at all of the knowledge that we possess as individuals. We look at how the Lord is blessing our denomination and our institutions. And we say we need nothing. Whatever God has to offer, we truly do not need. 
But then Christ looks through the exterior. He looks at our hearts and he says, listen, you are miserable. You are wretched. You are truly poor, blind and naked. Why? Because Christ is not in our hearts. Christ is not dwelling in us. He's not. We're not allowing his spirit to dwell in us to allow the old selfish nature to be broken up. I want you to notice what Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 357 states. How plainly is pictured the position of those who think they have all the truth, who take pride in their knowledge of the word of God, while the sanctifying power has not been felt in their lives. You see, they know so much, but they practice so little. They know how to give you a, a Bible study and break down the 28 fundamentals beliefs. But in the reality, they have not allowed the Holy Spirit to come into the hearts and provide the power, the sanctifying power to be felt in their lives. They know so much, but they practice so little. We take pride in all of the degrees that we possess. We take pride of all of the sermons that we preach and we listen to, not realizing that the true key of being an on-fire Christian for Christ is allowing his sanctified power to dwell in our lives. I want you to notice a quotation here. They may be crying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are we, while the courts of the soul temple may be haunt of envy, pride, passion, evil surmising, bitterness, and hollow formalism. Christ looks mournfully upon his professed people who feel rich and increased in the knowledge of truth and who are yet destitute of the truth in life and character. That is our heart calling, page 349. We can sing praises to God. We can go to church, open up our Bibles, give good insight during Sabbath school and say amen to a powerful sermon. We can go up and sing praises to our Lord. But Christ looks at his people and he realizes you think that this is what pleases me. But in reality, though you may have a knowledge of truth, the matter, the, the truth of the matter is, is that you are destitute of the truth. That is the spirit of God living in your life, because as I see your works, I realize that you truly do not know who I am. And that's the truth and sad condition that you and I face, brothers and sisters. And so this is why Testimonies to the Church, Volume 3, page 252 states, What greater deception can come upon human minds than a confidence that they are right when they are all wrong? The message of the true witness finds the people of God, notice, in a sad deception, yet honest in that deception. You see, we look at ourselves and we say, yeah, I know of need of God, but don't do anything to change their condition. They said, yeah, I realize that I'm Laodicean. Yeah, I realize that I live for, part for me and part for God. But they're honest in their, in their deception, but yet they haven't done anything to rectify the condition that they're in. You see, and this is the deception that majority of Christ's people are dealing with. We have the confidence in thinking that we're going down a right path when in reality we're going down a path of destruction. This is what Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, that there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the way thereof are the ways of death. You see, brothers and sisters, could it be that we think that we're all right when in reality we're all wrong? You see, the message that Christ is trying to, uh, uh, to embed in his people is one to understand our true need of Jesus Christ. Yes, it is a sad deception, yet we realize we need Jesus, but we don't do anything to fix it. You see, I thought that lukewarmness meant that we're not working hard enough to, for God. But that's not the meaning. See, I can be busy working for God. I can be doing uh, evangelistic series. I can, give him, I can be giving Bible study. But I can come to a point that I really do not feel my wretchedness. I don't feel that I'm poor. I do not feel like I'm blind. And I do not feel like I'm naked. You see, when I truly understood 
that I'm doing all of these works, but yet Jesus' love was not in my heart, it's at that point that I realized that I was in truly, I truly realized and understood my condition. So brothers and sisters, what is the remedy? What is the remedy that God is willing to provide for you and I to get out of this condition? So I'm glad you asked. I want you to notice what Revelation chapter 3 verse 18 states. I counsel thee to buy me of gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, so thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that they thou mayest see. You see, Christ gives us the solution to our condition. You see, we realize that we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So Christ says, buy of me, buy gold, and I will make you rich. You're naked, buy of me, of white raiment, and I will clothe you. You are blind, you can't see, buy of me, and I'll give you eyes out, so that way you may see your true condition. So brothers and sisters, what does this all mean? What is gold tried in the fire? What is this white raiment that Jesus is willing to offer us? What is the eye salve that Christ is willing to provide for you and I so that way you and I may be able to see? I want you to notice what Christ's object lessons, page 158 states. The gold tried in the fire is faith that works by what? By love. Only this can bring us into harmony with God. So Christ is offering us to buy gold and the gold that he's asking us to buy is gold that is faith that works by what? By love. You see, so many people have downplayed the word love, but love is the key to unlocking the true experience that God wants us to have. The gold tried in the fire, brothers and sisters, is faith that works by love. And what is faith? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God is actually doing what God asks us to do. And it's a love that is motivated for us to follow God's precepts and his commands. This is the only thing that will bring us into harmony with God. We know that the wages of sin is death and sin is what causes our separation from God. And so the only way that you and I can be in harmony with God once again is by buying of that gold that Christ is willing to give to us if we buy from him and that gold is faith that works by love. And so my question is this to you. Are you motivated by God's love? Are you doing what God asked you to do and the reason you're surrendering and doing it is simply out of the love for your maker? Or is it because you want to gain a reward? Or is it because you don't want to go to hell? Brothers and sisters, if love is not the motivating factor, then it's safe to say that we must check our relationship with God for faith only comes by working for a love, only comes by a love for our maker, Jesus Christ. This is why Galatians chapter five or six states for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by what? By love. Christ doesn't care about your outward works necessarily. The outward works are a demonstration of what's happening inside. But guys, Christ, uh, Christ desires for us to work faith that is motivated by his love. This is what Christ desires for you and I. And so I want you to notice what Selective Messages states. Man needs a power out of and above himself to restore himself to the likeness of God. But because he needs a divine aid, it does not make human activity unessential. Faith on the part of man is required for faith works by love. And what does love do? It purifies the soul. Brothers and sisters, there is a work that you and I must do, and we're going to unpack that in our, uh, in our next presentation as we unpack the seven steps uh, to completion. 
we see that in the process of sanctifying us, that there's a work that you and I must do in cooperation with God, what God desires for us to do. See, man needs to understand that there's a power above himself and that you and I are not capable of saving ourselves. We must do our part, but that part only comes from what's working from within. We see that faith can only be worked and purify our soul if it's motivated by love. And so we see this is the goal that, God, that Christ desires for us, for you and I to buy from. But I want you to notice what the white raiment is. Notice what Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 965 says. The white raiment is the righteousness of Christ that will be formed into the character. We discussed this in our previous presentation that the robe of Christ's righteousness isn't something that covers us for, with unconfessed sins, but it's a working or principle that works from within that's ultimately demonstrated out. So the white raiment is the righteousness of Christ that will be formed into the character. And notice what allows our characters to be formed. It is a purity of heart, purity of motive that will characterize everyone who is washing his robe and making it white in the blood of the lamb. And so we see as we are standing before Christ, as we see our true condition, we are truly naked. And the reason why Christ wants, uh, what Christ wants to cover us, cover us with is with his right raiment, which is ultimately the righteousness of Christ that is formulated within the character, but is more importantly, we have to understand that it's, uh, it's motivated by purity of heart and purity of motive. It's working by love. And this is what ultimately allows us to come back into harmony with God again. And we see that the blood of Jesus is essential for us to getting back to where we need to be. Amen. And so we see that Christ provides the gold because we are truly uh, poor. And so he says, I want you to buy gold of me. And we see that gold is love or faith worketh by love. And he says, he sees our condition and he tells us that we are naked. So he says, listen, I want you to buy me white raiment, buy my righteousness as I work within you. And I want to give you a pure heart. I want to give you pure motive and I allow my blood to, to cleanse you and, and, and make you whole. And so our last thing that Christ wants us to buy from him is one of the I self. Notice what the I self is, according to the quotation here. The I is sensitive, is a sensitive conscience. The inner light of the mind upon its correct view of things, the spiritual healthfulness of the whole soul and being depends. The I self is what? It is the word of God that makes the conscience smart under its application for it convicts of sin. But the smarting is necessary that the healing may follow and the I be single to the glory of God. So understand what we just read here in Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 965. The eye salve that allows us to see our condition is no other than the word of God. The word of God reveals to us our condition. It allows us to be convicted of sin. And as we're convicted of sin, we see our need of Jesus. Now, mind you, when we're convicted, it's not meant for us to run away from God, but to run to him. And as we see a true knowledge of who we are, as we confess our sins to him, he says he's willing and just to forgive us, but to also cleanse us. And as he cleanses us, as he allows us to see our condition, as we surrender our hearts to him, then our eyes will maybe, maybe single to the glory of God. And so I wanted to notice what happens here in Desire of Ages, page 313, because this is of vital importance. Notice what it says. If one sin, how many sins? One sin is cherished in the soul or one wrong practice retained in the life, the whole being 
is contaminated. And you may ask yourself, how is that? How is that so? How can one sin, how can one wrong practice retained in my life contaminate my whole body? Well, I want you to ask a very logical question. You see, I usually have it. Uh, I usually demonstrate this by grabbing a, a bottle of water and I open the bottle of water and I just take one swig. And then I put a little bit of uh, alcohol and poison in there and I cl- rat poison and I put it in there and I close it up and I shake it and I tell people, how many of us want to drink of this water? Nobody ever seems to raise their hand. And I ask them the question, why wouldn't you drink this water that's 99% good? And the response is always because it has 1% poison. Brothers and sisters, if we are logically, if we logic, if logic tells us that 1% of poison may kill us, what makes us think that one sin cherished in our hearts will be, would not keep us away from heaven? We know that the Bible states that the wages of sin is what? Death. And so what Christ wants to do is to eradicate sin from our lives. This is why if one sin is cherished or one wrong practice, the whole being is contaminated. But notice the man becomes an instrument of unrighteousness. Have mercy. One sin, one bad practice contained in my life. That one sin that I do not want to surrender to Jesus will ultimately contaminate me and allow me to be not used as an instrument of righteousness, which is Christ's desire, but an instrument of unrighteousness. So what do we do? What must we do? What is the remedy that God is willing to provide for you and I? I want you to notice what God desires for us to do is simply to invite Jesus into our hearts. Because we see in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 what the passage says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why is he at the door knocking? Because the truth of the matter is he's not in our hearts. You see, the reason why we are poor, blind, and naked is because Jesus is not in our hearts. So he's there standing, knocking, and that word in the Greek is one of a continuous knock. He's constantly knocking in your hearts. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So Christ's desire is for you to open the doors of your heart to invite him in so that way you and I may be able to sup with him and you with me. I remember I had an experience as I visited Africa and I was able to experience eating Ethiopian food. And, you know, coming from the Western world, we usually have forks and knives and napkins to uh, and we have individual plates. But as we order the food there at this at this Ethiopian restaurant, I realized that they ordered this big plate of food. And as we're eating, um, everyone basically partakes of this food. Now, you have to really have to trust the person you're eating with that they make sure that they wash their hands and and their hands are sanitized. But I realized at that moment that it was this sort of intimate moment that 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 our group had as we were sharing and breaking bread with each other. And that reminded me of what Christ wants with you and I. He wants to come in, sup with you and I. He wants to have intimacy with you. He wants to break bread with you. He wants to talk with you and commune with you and walk with you. And this is why Selected Messages, Volume 1 states, how willing is Christ to take possession of the soul temple if we let him? You see, the condition that we're in is because we have not allowed Christ into our hearts. He's knocking, but it's up to you and I whether or not we open that door and allow Christ to come in. It states that if the soul temple, if uh, how willing is Christ to take possession of the soul temple if we will let him? He is represented as waiting and knocking at the door of the heart then why does he not enter? Is because the love of sin has closed the door of the heart. The reason why Jesus is outside of the hearts, our hearts, is because we have allowed sin to enter in and we close our hearts to Jesus. And that's the truth, brothers and sisters. 
You see, if you and I didn't struggle with sin, the only, let, me, let me take that back. The reason why you and I struggle with sin is because we love sin. You know, I, I, I'm learning the principles of health, healthy eating, and I have a hard time sometimes eating broccoli. Now, I know it's nutritious, and, and some people have cooked it to, to, that made it taste very good, but I overall, uh, you know, from time to time, I really like ice cream. You see, you can't tempt me with broccoli, but you can tempt me with ice cream. And so what it is, what, what our experience is that we love sin. This is the reason why we're tempted by it. It allures us because it gives us the, every craving and desire that we have in our hearts. And so the reason why Jesus is not in, into our, in our hearts is because the love of sin has closed Jesus out. And we know that light and darkness cannot mix. Jesus is a true gentleman. And if he sees that you're spending time with your sin, he's going to gently and politely leave and ha have you close the door and he'll continue to knock until you allow him back in. And so, brothers and sisters, I love how this quotation concludes. As soon as we consent, as soon as we see that sin has overstayed its welcome, when lust and pride has overstayed and, and they're making havoc into our lives, as soon as we consent to give sin up, to acknowledge our guilt, the barrier is removed between the soul and the Savior. And I don't know about you, but that brings me great joy, amen? We see that as soon as we consent and not wanting that sin in our lives, we realize, Lord, this sin has overstayed its welcome. I hear you knocking. I give you permission to come on in. Jesus comes in and that barrier, that sin that has allowed us to be separated from God is now removed and we are now one in one with our maker. Oh, the beauty of Jesus' love. Oh, how we long to dine and commune with him and to sup with him and to have intimate relationship with him. Brothers and sisters, as soon as we consent to give it up and acknowledge that we have wronged Jesus, he is willing to remove that barrier. So that love of sin no longer has to be there. The love of Jesus can be there instead. Amen. And so this is why we see that uh, Testimonies of the Church, Volume 1 states that she says, I saw that many have so much rubbish piled at the door of their heart that they cannot get the door open. Some have difficulties between themselves and their brethren to remove. You know, I, was, I worked as a, an assistant dean for one year. And one of the uh, duties of the dean is to do room checks. Every Friday, right before sunset, they had to make sure that the rooms are pick and span before they was able to have Saturday night activities. And man, some of these clean, uh, kids' rooms were super clean. But you always had that one or two students who, who never seemed to clean up their room, right? And I remember walking to a door, and there's one particular student. As I'm trying to open up that door, I'm, uh, I'm trying to budge. I'm trying to kick in that door. And, and as I finally got that door wedged open, I saw all of this trash and rubbish. It was ramen noodles. that was probably there for three weeks. I saw roaches. I mean, this room, this room was a mess. And I'm thinking to myself, how can you live in such a condition like this? Well, brothers and sisters, that's the true condition of our hearts. She states that there's so much rubbish that's piled in our hearts that even when we ask Christ to come in, he, it's hard for him to come in because there's so much that is piled there at the, at the door of our hearts. Brothers and sisters, it even states that there are some difficulties between themselves and their brethren to remove. There may be some hostility, some envying between you and your, love, uh, between you and your family. It could be against your spouse. It could be a, a, with people at the church, your board members, elders, pastor, whoever it is. Brothers and sisters, there are things that are hindering you from allowing Jesus to enter in, and that barrier needs to be removed. There's some relationships that need to be rekindled. There are some relationships that need to be bonded once again. And brothers and sisters, maybe Christ is telling you right now, humble yourself. Apologize to that individual who wronged you or you may have wronged. 
That barrier must be removed before Christ can enter in. But notice it continues. Others have evil, evil tempers, selfish covetousness to remove before they can open the door. Others have rolled the world before the door of their hearts, which bars the door. All this rubbish must be taken away and then they can open the door and welcome the Savior in. Brothers and sisters, that's the remedy. We see that the problem is that we have rolled the world in, uh, uh, right before our hearts. We've allowed envying and strife and pride uh, to, to, to separate us from God. And brothers and sisters, it's not until we acknowledge that we have these things in our hearts. As we ask God, Lord, I give you consent to come in. Christ then comes in and he removes it. But first you must consent in giving it to him first. You see, all of this rubbish must be taken away. And then once we confess it, once we consent to give it to Jesus, Jesus says he's willing and he's just to remove it and to cleanse it and to, and to empower you with his spirit. Brothers and sisters, Desire of Ages, page 466, notice what it states. The expulsion of sin is the act of the soul itself. True, we have no power to free ourselves from Satan's control, but when we desire to be set free from sin in our great need, cry out for a power out and above ourselves. The powers of the soul are imbued with the divine energy of the Holy Spirit and they obey the dictates of the will in the fulfilling of the will of God. And if you're behind the TV screen, I hope you can say a hearty amen for me. Amen. Listen to what it stated, that the expulsion of sin is an act of itself. The fact that we want sin out of our lives is an act of itself. Yes, it is true. You and I have no power to overcome sin. You see, when we, are, when we commit sin, we are controlled by Satan. We are then slaves to unrighteousness. But notice, the desire, the simple fact that we desire to be set free from sin, and we cry out, Lord, remove the sin, remove this barrier from my life, Christ sends his Holy Spirit immediately to remove that barrier. And then at that point, we are able to obey and the dictates of the will of God, and we ultimately fulfill the desires of Jesus' heart. That is powerful, brothers and sisters. You don't, have to be wait. you don't have to wait to be restored. You can ask Jesus right now to restore you. Simply say, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of struggling with this sin. I consent in uh, confessing that this sin has separated me from you. I give you permission to come into my heart. Jesus immediately comes in. He removes. He gives us his spirit. And as the spirit dictates us, dictates what we should do and say, we will then be actively, uh, uh, will be naturally acting out the impulses of God. Notice what testimony says, volume five. It says, humble yourselves before God and make an earnest effort to empty the soul temple of all rubbish. What is the rubbish? It says all envyings, all jealousies, all suspicions, all fault findings. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. He double-minded, according to James chapter 4, verse 8. We see, brothers and sisters, that the first step is for us to humble ourselves before God. Christ wants us to make an earnest effort to say, Lord, this rubbish that has been separating me from you must be removed. I realize that I have envy in my heart. I realize that I, I have hostility towards my sister, towards my husband, towards my wife, towards my aunt, whoever it may be. Oh, I'm jealous of my coworkers. I'm jealous of my roommate. Oh, it doesn't matter what she wears. She looks great in everything. It doesn't matter what I do. It seems like I can't get good grades in school and my roommate parties up a storm and get good grades. I'm jealous. Oh, I, I found fault in everyone. 
They should have improved in this better. They should have improved this lecture better. They should have uh, cleaned, cleaned this room uh, uh, to my liking. And we find faults in everyone. We're suspicious of, of everyone. But Christ says we must humble ourselves before him. Make an earnest effort to analyze and to really reflect, to see what sins are separating you from God. And so how do I do this? Just ask the Lord to, to, to enter into your heart. But pray this simple prayer. Say, Lord, here's my heart with all my heart sins. Here's my resentment, my bitterness, my hatred, my blaming others for my sins of irritation and impatience or whatever else that is in your heart. Tell God, take my heart, cleanse me from all sin, create in me a new heart and come into my life. Empower me by your Holy Spirit. And Jesus promises that he can do it today if we simply surrender all to him. This is why I love what Review and Herald states. It says that if we ask him, the Lord will give us the Holy Spirit to cleanse the habitation of the soul. For every room of the temple of God must be entered and purified. Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, as soon as I submit and consent, Lord, I realize I have all of this rubbish in my heart. I realize that I have envying pride and, and jealousy and fault finding. We see that Christ, as soon as we consent, he sends his spirit, removes the, 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 the sin that separates us from him, and he comes in and he starts cleansing. You see, I lived in a, in a, in a Puerto Rican home, and, and one of the famous uh, uh, cleaning detergents that we use is Fabuloso. And so I can imagine God coming in, and he takes his gloves, and he starts taking the spray bottle, and he's spraying every corner of your heart and in our lives, in the living room, and cleaning it and, 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 and sanctifying it with Fabuloso and bleach. Just to purify our souls. Christ says that he is willing to enter into our hearts and to allow our whole temple to be cleansed by his spirit. And so we see in Gospel Workers, page 287, when one is fully emptied of self, when every false god is cast out of the soul, the vacuum is filled by the inflowing of the spirit of Christ. Such a one has the faith that purifies the soul from defilement. He is conformed to the spirit and he minds the things of the spirit. He has no confidence in self. Why? Because Christ is all and in all. Brothers and sisters, the importance of understanding the Laodicean message, the importance of us understanding the message of Christ, our righteousness, is to understand our nothingness, but cling on to his allness. <laughs> you can hashtag that, by the way. But we see that the confidence is not in our ability and our power to save ourselves. No, we must come to a point that Christ is all in in all. Brothers and sisters, if we realize our lost condition, there is no need to feel discouraged. You see, God has a wonderful plan to save us and to give us power to live the sanctified life. But we must discover his plan and then cooperate with him. And that's what we're going to be discussing in the seven steps of completion this is just a foundation, but now we're going to go into the practical. So, brothers and sisters, make sure that you log into the seven steps of completion because we're going to give you the practical steps on how you and I can live a sanctified life by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, our confidence doesn't come in our own strength, but it comes through the strength of Jesus Christ. You see, as I look at the picture, I realize that I have no power in myself to overcome the sins of my life. But I'm reminded by the promise found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul states, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest upon me. So brothers and sisters, rest assured 
that if you are a weak, struggling Christian, you have the power to live a holy and sanctified life. Christ says that it's when you're your weakest that at that point you are able to be made strong. And I imagine as Christ was hanging upon the cross, as, as the sins of the world was upon his shoulders, he looked at you, he looked at me, and he says, my son has, and my daughter has no power to overcome the temptation and the sin. But I'll hold on. I'll take an extra breath because in my weak condition, in his moment of weakness, is where I'm able to provide his strength. Brothers and sisters, it's Christ's love for you. Christ and his weakest moment is where we can find our greatest strength. Is at the cross. Jesus was there. He was there hung naked. He was ashamed. Everyone seemed to have left him, but he was there hanging for you and I. And there he says, listen, you may be weak right now. You may look like there's no hope, but look at my strength. Look how I'm holding on to this cross for you. In those moments of weakness, brothers and sisters, look up to Jesus. Look at the cross. It is there that you can find the power to overcome. And so I realized that the reason why I haven't been an on-fire Christian is because I haven't surrendered the envyings, the jealousies, the pride, the lust, all of those things I have not surrendered to Jesus. There was no way that I can continue to study his word, continue to pray. There was no way that I can continue to witness to others while I was still having rubbish in my heart. And so if you're struggling here today, it's okay. The struggle is real, but so is our God, amen? And so Jesus wants to remind you that he loves you more than you ever know. He is there willing to pick you up if you have fallen. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. Today, you can give him your heart. Today, you can say, Lord, I realize that I'm a weak Christian, but in my weakness, I realize that I can be mighty and powerful by the empowering of your Holy Spirit, by the empowering of your love. Oh, tell the Lord that you love him. And if you don't know how to love him, tell him, teach me, Lord, how to love you. Oh, he loves you more than you'll ever know. And so as we conclude, just understand that the struggle of being a Christian is a real one, but so is a God of heaven. Amen. We may be struggling, but Christ promises us a victory. So the struggle is real, but so is our God. Understand that he loves you. Understand in your moments of weakness, he's able to give you strength. As we conclude, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, we just want to thank you. Understanding that the reason why we haven't been an on-fire Christian is because we've been holding on to sins in our lives. Lord, you want us to buy of you gold that is faith tried in fire. Lord, you want us to buy of you from you raiment that is your righteousness that works from within. Lord, you want us to see our condition, that I salve, that understands who we are as we study the word of God. Lord, we realize that we must surrender it to you. And Father, you promise that as soon as we consent and realize that the sin has separated us from you, that you are willing at that very moment to take it away and to infuse us, infuse us with your spirit. We thank you so much, dear Lord, for blessing us here. And we pray that as, as, as we conclude this topic, that you may continue to work in us the good work that you have begun. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.